0: as we get to the point. Amen. Be seated if you would and grab your copy of God's Word and go with me to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, we find ourselves today in verse number 21. If I were to say to you, what are some difficult passages in the New Testament? We certainly would think of three or four. Uh, Probably the first one that comes to my mind is Romans chapter 9, uh, which is an amazing passage, but sometimes sometimes Uh, difficult to interpret and understand. And if you think you've got it all figured out and know all about Romans chapter 9, we are so happy for you and blessed to be in your presence. But uh, I'm going to tell you that there are many, many scholars and theologians through the years that still kind of look at that and scratch their head and uh, try to figure it out and know that one day when we get to heaven, God will make it clear for us, right? My assignment today is maybe, maybe some scholars say The most difficult passage in the New Testament. How many of you are glad it's me and not you today, all right, that you don't have to get up here and explain it? Uh, I want you to know that my goal when we finish up the sermon today is for you to walk out of here being reminded that we have a good Father. We have a good Heavenly Father who loved us so much that He sent His Son, the Lord Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins, And that because He came and because we have been delivered from our sins, we now can live a life of freedom in Jesus Christ. It all begins with knowing who your Father is. It all begins by knowing who your Heavenly Father truly is. I've entitled the message today, Who's Your Father? Yes, I almost. Used who's your daddy, but the staff wouldn't let me, and so I stuck with the word father. What is a father? A boy answered that question by saying, A father is a person who has pictures in his wallet where he used to have money. I can say amen to that. I want to remind you of the important role that fathers play in our society. The important role that fathers play in the family, the important role that fathers have in the church. It's a very, very unique role. I was reminded in my office this week as I was studying, there's some people who spend their whole life and never know who their father is. What a sad thing. Maybe some of you have that testimony. God sent me here today to tell you, you do have a father. You have a heavenly father who loves you. As we look at our society today, though, they tell us that 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 85% of all children who show behavior disorders come from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 70% of young people who are in state-operated institutions come from fatherless homes. 85% of all youths who are in prison today come from fatherless homes. I read some time ago that 94% of men who were in prison today say they did not have a father. They did not have a father figure in their life to love them, direct them, and guide them. And that contributed to the path that they went on. Men, I just want to remind you today, if you're a father, if you're a man, you play an important role. You have a unique role, a valuable role, an important role. You know, we go through stages with our kids as fathers that kind of look like this. Early on, we would idolize our fathers. I remember when I was a kid, I used to say to other boys, My dad can beat up your dad. Now, I don't know if he could or not, but my dad was bigger than me, and so I thought he was awesome and tough and whatever. And he was actually taller than me till I turned 13. And then my teenage years into young adult, he had to look up to me. But you go through that stage where you idolize your father, and then you move into a stage where you demonize them. Same's true for you moms. You demonize your dad. It's your fault. Everything, you're the I'm not the problem. You're the problem. You demonize them, and then you move into the stage where you utilize your father. You know that you need his cash. You know that you need his keys to the car because you want to take your girl on a date, right? So you utilize your father, and then you get to a point where you humanize them. You realize that they are just humans. We're human. We're not perfect, right? And you learn to love them and appreciate them and realize that God gave you your parents. God gave you your father, and you ought to love them. And the scripture says, honor them and respect them. What happens here in Galatians chapter 4 is that the Judaizers, they couldn't just humanize Abraham while at the same time deify Jesus as the God-man. They were so caught up in their father, Abraham, that they were missing the gospel. They were missing the fact that the Messiah had come. If you're a guest today, we have plowed through the book of Galatians. Today is actually my 12th sermon in the book. We looked at chapter 1 and 2, and Paul gives his personal testimony about how his life was radically changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. In chapter 3 and now in chapter 4, He's giving us the theological and scriptural backing for what happened to him. Paul is not saying, hey, I saw a bright light and had an emotional experience and this or that happened without having some theological backing to that. Uh, Sometimes people have emotional experiences and bright lights and it was just a Domino's pizza, right? Okay, It, it It wasn't anything theological. Anytime we have things that happen in our lives, we need to be able to back it up with Scripture. And so that's what Paul is doing in Galatians 3 and 4. This is what happened to me. This is why it has happened to me. And I want to show you from the Bible, from history, how God has always been at work fulfilling His redemptive plan for the world. And so as we walk through Galatians, we've traced the promise of the gospel all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 and to a man named Abraham. Abraham received the promise. Galatians chapter three, verse number eight. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now today the Jewish people, those that are still uh, practicing and devoted to Judaism, they honest uh, they obviously revere and hold Abraham in high regard. That's biblical. I also want you to know that Islam, the Islamic faith, religion, they also, trace themselves back, and revere and have high regards for their father, Abraham. I shared with you last Sunday that I grew up in church, in super church, like the kids are at right now, and we were singing, Father Abraham had many sons. I'm one of them, and so are you. So we sit here today as Christians, and we look back, and we see that the gospel of the Messiah and the coming of Christ, it goes all the way back to Abraham. Now, how do we sort all that out? I'm so glad you asked, because we're going to look in Galatians chapter 4, verse 21, and we're going to see that what the Judaizers are doing is they are poisoning the well of Father Abraham. They're poisoning the well. In 1982, just down the street from the Moody Church at the Walgreens, there were people that were walking into that store, and they were buying Tylenol, thinking that it would help them. It would help them with a sickness or a headache or whatever, that they would receive that Tylenol, and they would get well or get better. What happened was, over a period of days, they realized that seven people actually died. Someone went into that Walgreens and took bottles of Tylenol and put arsenic in them. That's one of the reasons today when you buy uh, bottles of medicine at the store, there's a sealed uh, lid over that bottle. 1982 actually began that and contributed to it because seven people died as they received that arsenic into their bodies, thinking they were getting medicine, they were getting health, they were going to get well, but they were actually killing their own body. I tell you that story to illustrate that is exactly what people are doing today in matters of religion. When you think of eternal life, when you think of the gospel, when you think of people being well or or having the right relationship with God, so many people today want God's blessings. They want his favor. They want to be received by him, but they're going about it the wrong way. They're receiving religion into their life thinking that is making them well when it's actually making them sick. Paul is saying here to the church at Galatia, the Judaizers are poisoning the well. They're not helping you be well in Christ. They're making you sick. Now look at verse number 21. I want to walk through this text for just a minute with you. And then I'm going to do it a little different today. Again, this is a In Alabama, we would say a humdinger of a passage, all right? I want to walk through this text and kind of teach you through it. And then at the end, I want to make just three quick application statements, all right? So notice in verse number 24, it's very important. Paul makes the statement that this section is to be interpreted as an allegory, it is an analogy. It is an illustration that he makes. He's trying to emphasize to the Galatians, stay with the grace of Jesus, stick with the gospel. It's a new day. There are certain things that have happened that have come to pass that are now behind us, and now we look forward and we stay in the grace of Jesus. And I want to give you an allegory, he says, that will illustrate what I'm trying to say. It also involves Father Abraham. And Paul is pointing past Father Abraham to say, you're too focused on your earthly father. You need to be focused on your heavenly father. Look at verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Again, Paul has a little sarcasm here. He's saying, those of you that are so committed to the law... Do you not even listen? Do you not even read what you're reading? He's saying, do you not understand how difficult it is? This thing that you're promoting and forcing on people, it is impossible to keep. Keep reading verse 22. It is written that Abraham had two sons. It is written, points back to Genesis 16 and 17. That's your homework today. Read it. Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, One by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. than those of the one who has a husband. Can I get any sympathy from the room that I have to interpret this passage today? Anybody glad you're not up here having to do it? So let's back up. Genesis 16 and 17, we know that Abraham has the promise, right? The promise is that he would have a son. And from his lineage, there would be more people than the stars in the skies, What a promise. But Abraham and his wife Sarah are getting on up there in years. As a matter of fact, they reach a point where Abraham is 100 and Sarah is 96 before this prophecy is fulfilled. I said in the first service today, what would it be like, Brother Lee, in our church today if we were having a baby shower in your class, right? Brother Lee teaches our senior adults back there. That's really what this moment is like. When Sarah finds out that she's going to have a child, what does she do? She begins to laugh out loud. Are you kidding me? At my age, she found in that moment that God keeps his word. And what God says he's going to do, he is going to do. But there was a point in this journey where they had the promise of God, but yet their faith became weak. Can anybody in the room relate to that today? I thought, y'all, no. Have you found yourself there recently? I was praying with somebody on the phone this morning real early, and we were praying, and they're going through a hard time. They're struggling. They were crying on the phone, and I, as I was praying, I said, God, they're at a point like the man in the New Testament who cried out, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. There are times in this life when we get weak, and we ask questions, and we wonder if God is there We believe God keeps his promises, but sometimes we wonder if he's going to. And so Abraham and Sarah are having a conversation one day, and they're just saying, hey, this is not happening, so we need to do something. Oh, how many times in my Christian life, even in my ministry life, have I felt like I was in a lull or things weren't happening like I thought they should have happened, and I got the bright idea to do God's work and God's purposes my way. I can testify to you today, that doesn't end well. So Abraham and Sarah decide. Sarah says, Abraham, why don't you do this? We need a son. We need a child. Why don't you take Hagar, our slave, our servant, why don't you go in with her, lie with her, conceive a child, and then we'll have, since I can't have a child, we'll have a son. And that's exactly what Abraham did. And from that relationship with Hagar, a son is born and his name is Ishmael. Ishmael was born 14 years before Isaac was born, which was actually the fulfillment of the promise. So notice in verse 22 in your Bible, Abraham has two sons. Those two sons are Ishmael from Hagar and then Isaac, who was born from Sarah. Notice that Hagar is called a slave woman and then Sarah is the free woman 23 the son of the slave was born according to the flesh now all babies that are born are in the flesh it's not the point there the point is it was that that Ishmael was born according to the works of the flesh the works of the flesh he's pointing to the fact that the works of the flesh do not produce the righteousness of God. The works of the flesh do not produce the kingdom or the work of God. While the son of the free woman was born through promise. I love that word. I love that word promise, don't you? I want to remind you today God keeps his promise. He's seldom early, but he's never late. He's seldom early, but he's never late he always keeps his promise. Isaac was born according to the promise. Now he makes this analogy and he divides Hagar and Sarah and he applies them to the two covenants. The old covenant that God made with his people through Abraham, uh, through the Jewish people, and then the new covenant which is made through Christ. When Christ came, remember he took the cup there at the last supper and he drank from it and he said, this is the cup purchased through my blood. So so Paul is making the analogy between those two covenants, and he says, one is from Mount Sinai being children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, isn't that interesting? You remember what, what happened at Mount Sinai, right? Moses went away from the people. He went up to the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. The mountain was so holy. The glow was so bright. God said, don't you even come over here. Don't come over here and touch this mountain or you'll die. Don't even bring a donkey over here. Reminds me to remind all of us that we serve a holy God, a holy God, a righteous God. At Mount Sinai, Moses receives the Ten Commandments. So, sometimes when we use the word law, we're talking about the Ten Commandments. At other times, we're referring to that broader law of about 613 moral, civil, and ceremonial laws uh, that the Jewish people live under. But he's referring here to Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai and the giving of the law to reemphasize what he's already taught in this letter in that the law is bondage, the law is slavery the law keeps you in chains. So he says, Hagar is the slave woman. She is in slavery. Verse 25, Hagar is in Mount Sinai in Arabia. Notice she corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. Now remember this, the social status of the mother determines the social status of the children. If mom was a slave, the children were a slave. And so Paul says that, that, that Hagar corresponds to present Jerusalem. What's going on in Jerusalem at this time? It is the hotbed of legalism. It's the hotbed of Judaism. We even see it from our Lord and Savior in his earthly ministry as he looks at the Pharisees out of frustration they knew the law backwards and forwards and they used the law as a weapon to oppress people and to put people in chains and bondage and Jesus said to them you make up rules and you put things on people that they can't even that you can't even handle yourself You're making people miserable with rules and regulations. What's going on in Jerusalem at this time? There's a whole lot of religion and not a lot of Jesus. Does that sound like the world you live in today? We got the same problem in 2022. There's a whole lot of religion going on in the world. We don't need more religion. We need more Jesus. Jesus. Paul is saying, look at Jerusalem. Look at the current condition of Jerusalem. But then he pivots in verse 26, and he says, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. Man, I love that. What in the world does that mean? It means there is a new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. Paul is pointing to heaven. He's pointing to heaven, and he says, she is our mother. Why would he refer to heaven as the mother? The last time I checked, regardless of what society says today, women have babies. Can somebody say amen right there? I mean, that's the way God created it. He's pointing to the same thing. Y'all are y'all a little weak on that. I need y'all to help me a little more when I say that, all right? John chapter 3, Jesus is having a conversation with Nicodemus. And he says, Nicodemus, you're, you're a religious man. You're in the Sanhedrin. You know the law. But let me tell you what you need. You need to be born again. And Nicodemus says, how in the world can I do that? I can't enter into my mother's womb a second time. And Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. You don't understand what I'm saying. Nicodemus, what you need is you need to be born of the Spirit, born of water, born from above. You need a new birth, born again. Oh, can I ask you today, have you been born again by God's grace? You won't be born again by religion. You won't be born again by the law, rules, and regulations. You'll be born again by the Spirit of God. And when you're born again, you know that this world is not your home. You're just passing through. But yet, we experience a little heaven on earth because Christ is in us and he is with us. Our Savior and our Lord, he never leaves us, he never forsakes us. Paul is saying to the church at Galatia that this Jerusalem that is from above, she is our mother, she has brought life into you, you have been born again by the grace of God. In verse 27, he quotes from Isaiah chapter 54 and verse number one to just simply illustrate that the Jewish people were in Babylonian captivity. And as Isaiah was writing, he was saying that these Jews were gonna be brought back to Jerusalem and Jerusalem, that lying waste, there was no life, it's gonna come to life and it's gonna live again. Now, what does all of this have to do with the Christian Church in Galatia? Verse twenty-eight, Paul pivots and says, "Now, now, now, you, now you, I'm done. I'm done with my allegory. I'm, do- I'm done with my illustration. Now, you, brothers. He could have said, he could have said, brothers and sisters. He's talking to Christians here. Now, you, brothers and sisters, just like Isaac, you." are children of the promise. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. You ought to circle that phrase in your Bible, that last phrase right there, so also it is now. What is he saying here? He's saying that Ishmael is persecuting the lineage of Isaac. That's what he's saying. If you go to the Middle East today, there's still great tension, great tension. In Jerusalem, there's great tension. You don't believe me? Go to the Temple Mount. How many of you have been there before? Wave at me. You walk through security. You've got Israeli Jewish soldiers checking your bags. You step through that, turn right, walk through the door. You've got Arab soldiers around the other side of the wall. And they're always in tension there the Arabs and the Jews, intentions. What is that? That is Ishmael and Isaac. He says to the church, just like that tension is there, so also it is now. In other words, Christian church, be ready. It is not going to be easy to live for Christ. It's not going to be easy to stay in the grace and mercy of Jesus. It's not going to be easy to do that even in the church because the Judaizers are coming against them. And he actually calls this really a form of persecution. Verse 30, but what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit the son of the free woman. Paul is saying there, cast out legalism, cast out rules, cast out regulations, Because the only way you're going to receive the promise and go to heaven is through the free woman. It's through the promise that came from Isaac. Please hear me, young people, young adults, all of us, hear me, please. This world, this culture is bearing down on us about our belief in the exclusivity of Jesus. You say, Pastor, you keep saying that. Some of you don't get out much. You don't know what's really going on out here. You don't know what our kids are being taught. You don't know what's being said in public universities that Christianity today is being mocked and made fun of. And then even in what we would put in a category of Christian seminaries, it's being taught that there's more than one way to the Father. That's not in the Bible. The Bible says Jesus is the way. You will not go through the son of the free woman. You will go through the son, or son of the slave woman. You will go through the son of the free woman. And that is through the promise that came to Abraham and Sarah through Isaac that led all the way to Golgotha, to Calvary. Look in verse number 31. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Paragraph ends in verse number one for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Circle those three words. Highlight those three words. Stand firm, therefore. Therefore, because Christ has set us free. And then that challenge, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. How many of you remember way back, way back, at the beginning of this year when I preached a couple of sermons on being free in Christ. If you don't remember that, you'll remember this. My mama got mad at me because I came in here one Sunday with blue jeans and a sweatshirt on. How many remember that? And it said freedom right here across the front. And my mama said, I can't believe you'd go to church dressed like that. And she's a Pentecostal now. She let, No, I'm kidding. She didn't leave the church. She didn't leave the church. <laughs> I was studying this week and I, you know, we're going to move into Thanksgiving now and then Christmas season. And then we're going to pick up here in chapter five, verse two in January. Okay. I don't want to rush through the last two chapters of the book. I'm going to finish it up right. But I was just thinking my office this week, you know, we started the year with freedom. We're going to kind of end up here closer to the end of the year on freedom. We're going to start 2023 with freedom. We need to hear that. We need to hear that Christ came to set us free. To set us free. Let me make three statements and I'm done. It's not, a, it's not a big outline. I just want to make three statements. Here they are. This passage reminds us today that religion doesn't equal relationship. Religion doesn't equal relationship. There are a lot of religious people today. They have a steady intake of religion, but they've never arrived at a point where they have a relationship with Christ. I want to ask you today, has there ever been a time in your life where you just surrendered? You knew that you were bound up in your sin. You looked at the law. Sin is missing the mark. Sin is disobeying God. You looked at it and you said, I surrender. I give up. I can't do this. When you get to that point, that's when you're ready to be saved, right? Because working and religion and straining and struggling will get you nowhere. What you have to do is turn loose and say, Jesus, I want a relationship with you. Religion doesn't equal relationship. Paul says to the Christians at Galatian, these Judaizers are trying to pull you into religion. You need to stick with the relationship. Number two, this passage reminds me that heaven is an exclusive place. Heaven is an exclusive place. The Jerusalem that is above, she is our mother. I was preaching the other day at Brother Bill Roloff's memorial service here at the church, and I was in John chapter 14, and I was walking through that text a little bit. Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus said, for you. He didn't say I'm going to prepare a place for everyone. Oh, today the ugly monsters of universalism and pluralism are all over the place. Heaven is an exclusive place. Hear me. Heaven is an exclusive place. Everybody is not going to heaven. As a matter of fact, your Bible says broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to life everlasting. And then it says this, and few there be that find it. I'm not excited about it today. I'm not joy-filled about it today. But I'm thankful today because of God's grace to say I know where I'm going when I leave this world. But please hear me. Please hear me. The masses are not going to heaven. According to the Bible, the masses are going to hell. that ought to to bother us. That ought to concern us for our friends and our families. that, That we wouldn't say to them, well, you know, we're all going to see the good Lord in the sweet by and by. We're all going to end up at the same place. No, 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 no. We're all going to end up at the same place if you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, who said about himself, Thomas said to him in John 14, Lord, we don't understand where you're going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way. That word there means path. It means road map. It means the road, the directions. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. And then he said, no one will come to the Father except through me. Heaven is Is an exclusive place. So when I ask the question today, who is your father? Do you know? Do you know your heavenly father? Do you know how much he loved you to send you his son to die on the cross? You might say, Tim, I'm one of those ones you mentioned at the beginning of the service. I don't know who my father is. I may spend my whole life and never know who my father is. And I say to you how sorry I am that you have to live that way here on this earth. It breaks, my, it breaks my heart. But I can't just leave you there. I've got to say, I've got some good news for you. We have a Heavenly Father that knows right where you're at. He knows your pain, He knows your struggle. And that earthly Father that maybe has gone on, you don't have right now. Maybe you had a Father for a period of time. Your Father's going on. I promise you, our Heavenly Father wants to fill that void in your life. He wants to. But He'll do that through His Son, the Lord Jesus. Heaven is an exclusive place. Let me finish my third statement. This passage reminds us to live as free. Live as a free child of God. Free, we're free. Some of you today, maybe you're living in bondage. You know, I, I, I've seen people in and around the church through the years. I've been involved in churches where man, people love to put rules and regulations on people that just weight you down. I mean, you can't breathe. You can't do this and you can't do that. And you just feel smothered. You're like, what can I do? Can, time out, can I breathe? the law says don't, don't. Jesus came and said, I will, I will. I will redeem you. I will set you free. I will give you joy. I will give you liberty. What we need to do is just claim that in our life. For some of you here today, maybe you've been born again by God's grace, but you're still living in slavery. Slavery to anger, bitterness, lust, pride, chemical dependency. I remind you, Christ came to set you free. You don't have to live there. You don't have to stay there. Let me take it another step. Some of you, the lost world around you, they are watching us. And there are too many Christians today that that, that live and act like they've been weaned on dill pickle juice. William Barclay said years ago, the thing that has hurt Christianity the most through the centuries is long faces and black clothes. Like we're always going to a funeral. We're always sad. Where's your joy? Christian, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm just, I'm just asking today. You can quote, Christ came to give us life and give it abundantly, but are you living abundantly? Are you living free today? If you're not, why not? Maybe you've allowed things in your life to become bondage. Christianity is liberty, not slavery. Let me close with Peter Taylor Forsyth. Look at this. He said this. The purpose of life is not to find your freedom. That that is such a secular, ungodly philosophy. I'm trying to find myself and find my freedom. He said the purpose is to find your master. It's to find your master. And, And notice, that's not capitalized there and it's not capitalized for a reason. He's saying that everybody's going to let somebody control them or guide them or dominate them. What's the master? It might be a family member. It might be your job. It might, whatever. He's saying your purpose is not to find your freedom. It's to find your master. And for us as Christians, we have found our capital M master, our Lord and Savior, And when He's in control in our lives, He brings liberty and joy and freedom. Can God's people say amen to that. So would you stand? Who is your father today? Can you sing that song? You're a good, good father. It's who you are. I hear you singing it. Is that your testimony? Is that your I hope it is, because we've got a good, good Father. I stand here today not because I'm a great person, but because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. I'm not a child of the devil. I'm a child of the King. I know who my Father is. Would you bow your head with me in prayer?